All right, I am pleased to announce we have a very special guest. Uh, Dr. Scott Riling, pastor of missions, is going to teach today. And so we're really excited about him being here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for all you're doing in this class. And uh, Lord, just thank you for all of our members. Thank you for all the excitement and anticipation of all the events that you're leading us to do. Father, thank you for Scott taking time out of his crazy, busy schedule to come bless us and teach us today. Pray that you'll speak to us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, When uh, Mark called me on Thursday... I was, I was just letting you know it was Thursday. Um, you never just fill in for Mark Lanier, you know? So anyways, uh, he was having to stay a little bit longer at uh, where he was and asked me if I could possibly fill in. And like I said, I, you don't just fill in for Mark. But uh, we got it together, and so I intentionally today, uh, with the PowerPoint, the notes that you have, I'm drawing such a clear contrast between me and Mark Lanier. So that was the purpose in that. It was by design. Uh, I'm going, you know, just kind of out there. I'm thinking outside the box, you know. And so uh, not that necessarily a contrast needed to be drawn, but I just want you to be able to see, you know, Mark and Scott. You know, so, I mean, there's just such a clear contrast. So I just kind of stayed within those boundaries. And uh, I'm going very simple, very uh, 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 low-tech with the PowerPoint and also the notes. Because today I thought we might uh, do something where it would be more of just like a question. We've got the question to guide us, and then we'll answer it from the Scriptures, and we'll kind of look at it. We're sticking with Paul, and uh, to be honest with you, I don't know for sure every lesson. I've seen most of the lessons, but I was trying to go back through my mind whether or not Paul, I mean, uh, Mark touched on Paul's mode and methods of evangelism and so forth, because I know you've been spending a lot of time in Paul. And by the way, when uh, Mark gets back next week, he'll be picking right up where he left off, and he'll be talking about the ethics of Paul. And so you, again, you don't want to miss that, not that you would. But uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the evangelism of Paul, because uh, this has been something that's kind of been, uh, I've been chewing a lot uh, on, I've been spending a lot of time, particularly in Acts chapter 17, and uh, looking at how Paul shared Christ, preached Christ, witnessed for Christ prior to Acts 17, from about uh, Acts 9, when, or Acts 6, whenever he became a Christian, and what did it look from that point on, and then you come to Acts 17. And so I've been spending a lot of time in there, and so when Mark asked me, hey, could you uh, fill in on this, I'd say, well, can I, I'll go ahead and stick with the theme of Paul, and we'll just look at his, uh, his style of evangelism. So as we look at Acts 17, the question that uh, I wanted to start out with was, was it different? Was, his, was this a new direction in the way Paul uh, approached evangelism? And the reason I ask that question is because this um, audience was kind of unique, and there were some very specific things that he didn't even talk about in Acts chapter 17. If you go back right here, verses uh, 22 through 34. He doesn't mention the cross. He uh, doesn't even really mention the name of Jesus. Now, prior to that, a couple verses uh, prior to that, it talked about that he was talking about the resurrection and preaching Jesus. But in the passage that Luke actually records on Mars Hill, when he's talking to the Stoics and the Epicureans, he doesn't actually even mention the name of Jesus. It refers to the one whom he raised from the dead. Well, then we know who that was. But it was kind of interesting. 
And, and we'll also look at what Paul kind of said about himself and how, what his method was, what his message was and his approach was. But in this particular passage, it's kind of unique because he doesn't, he doesn't talk about uh, the cross, Christ crucified, and he doesn't even specifically mention Jesus. He also kind of looks at some of the things that was culturally prevalent there and drew uh, uh, and, and, and made connections with some of those things to try to gain an audience and to, to gain the ear of the people that he was talking to. But what, what about his uh, audience? Well, you had the Epicureans. And they, uh, they were followers of Epicurus, Epicurus, that is. And uh, their idea was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was their philosophy. Avoid anything painful. If, uh, if uh, anything that brings pain or suffering in life, then we've got to avoid that because the pursuit of pleasure is what the aim was. To uh, lead a tranquil life and hopefully avoid anything that would come in that would cause any kind of suffering or, or any kind of pain. So that was one group. And it's interesting because, uh, let me go ahead and open up my Bible uh, to this uh, passage in Acts 17. It, um, it says in verse 21, Now all the Athenians and the uh, strangers visiting were used to, uh, used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Now, that's, what they, that's how they passed their time. They would gather together and they would uh, visit with one another and talk with one another and then anything that was new that they could talk about, that they could contemplate, that they could pursue, that they could study, that, that they could consider. Now, how futile was that? Well, when you consider the words of Solomon where he said there's nothing, what? There's nothing new under the sun. But yet there was something that within them that they loved to sit around and to consider that which was new. So the Epicureans were in that group as well, and they loved to hear the latest philosophical idea, the latest, latest philosophical notion that would come along. Then you also had the Stoics. Now, the Stoics were different. Because regardless of what life brought, you must find a way to rise above it. And so therefore, feelings cannot enter into it. Feelings cannot govern your life. Whether it's pain or pleasure that doesn't matter because uh, um, you're, you're, you're seeking the highest good and you want to be noble in your character and don't be carried away by emotions. Hence the word stoic. You ever met someone stoic? What kind of person are they? Yes, yes. Oh, wasn't that funny? Mm, hilarious. Yes, stoic. That was stoic. Because I'm not going to let my emotions get in it. You know, so, so you had the Epicureans that are seeking only pleasure and, 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 and avoiding pain at all costs. You had the Stoics that said, regardless of what life brings, I will see a way through it. I'll be staying firm, not be uh, with my emotions. The one thing they had in common is they loved to hear things new, and they wanted to hear this idle babbler that was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. So this was his audience. Now, how did Paul describe his approach to witnessing? Well, we'll look at some other passages in Scripture to look at this. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. Now, some scholars believe that this passage here in 1 Corinthians was kind of against the backdrop of failure in Athens. 
Because after all, he didn't have this sweeping movement of people that came to Christ. In fact, the text says in verse 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Dionysius was, uh, was one of them, the Arabicite, and a woman named Damaris. Only mentions two names. So some scholars say, you know what, Paul had to have been discouraged and, and, and disappointed. And, and in fact, no church was ever established in Athens. So that's probably when he was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it's probably against that backdrop, that disappointment in Athens. He, 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 he began to go more philosophical and to find common ground with them and it was a failure because, after all, only two people are mentioned and it said just a few joined him. Well, you know what? That's going to be the response. One of those three responses are going to be the responses that every one of us, when we share the gospel, that we're going to hear. Some are going to go, that's silly. That's right. Resurrection. Some will say, well, that's interesting. I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Hey, can we meet for coffee again sometime? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. Non-committal, but at the same time, I'm curious. But then some are going to believe. Some are going to say, that's what I've been looking for. That answers my question. And you know what? Some of those that believed must have been some of those who were always looking for something new. And when you're always looking for something new, it's probably an indication that you're pretty empty on the inside. Because you're still looking for something to, to fill some sort of a void in your life. There's got to be something. I just haven't found it yet. There's got to be something else. There's got to be something more to this. And so some of those very ones could have been Dionysius or Damaris. said, so, you know what? That's what I've been waiting to hear. That makes sense. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech, or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Pretty simple message, wouldn't you say? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of the power and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, uh, there are a couple passages in Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, look, if you could boast, I could boast even more because, you know, I was a uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, born in the tribe of Benjamin and everything, all these kind of things, you know, studied under Gamaliel. There are a couple times, uh, saying, uh, times when he uh, could have been braggadocious, but here, this is a very humble, uh, Paul is just saying, look, I, I determined to know nothing but him crucified. I didn't come with persuasive words. Now, it would be troublesome probably if you had, if met the apostle and he was always bragging about what he could do, right? But he was very humble. But you know, it's interesting that sometimes we may have a perception of ourselves, but other people have a different perception. To go on, in, in the Corinthian church, there were some that, uh, were, uh, that opposed him. And, you know, the Corinthian church was a messed up church anyway. But, I mean, they just, you know, we're always having problems, all kinds of troubles. I mean, if you want to learn of any kind of vice that can happen inside the church, just go to Corinthians and you can read about it. Um, but there was some, some, some antagonizers in the Corinthian church. And look what one of them said. 
Paul is referencing this one, or what he's heard uh, has gotten back to him. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal uh, presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Boy, wouldn't that encourage you? You know, he's heard that, oh, wow. You know, Timothy probably said, I don't know how to tell you this, Paul, but this is what they're saying about you. Or Titus said, you know, I'm sorry. This is kind of what they're saying. Oh, great. So he writes back to him. Hey, yeah, I've heard some of you saying that. And uh, then Paul, look what he says about himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So Paul says, look, I, I know a few things, but you know what? Even if I'm not that impressive in speaking, maybe, you know, if I'm not that impressive in persuasive words, I'm not coming to you in my own power, in my own intellect. I'm coming in the power of God. Because that is the power to change lives. But that's the perception that Paul had of himself. Now, uh, scholars, you know, debate this issue. What did Paul look like? Well, you know, uh, there's circumstantial evidence that indicated that he wasn't that impressive looking, you know? He may have had bad eyesight, may have had some physical ailments. You know, I mean, especially by the time Corinthians is written, you know, he's already been beaten many times and all, you know. He's probably even hunched over. He's probably got scars all over himself, you know, and... Uh, you know, he's been through a lot. So he wasn't that impressive to look at. Look at. And it seems like that whenever he, his life was changed, whenever he had his experience on the road to Damascus, that brought, God brought a real sense of humility into his life. That's how he saw himself. But, you know, it's interesting because um, Luke describes Paul differently whenever you're going through the narratives in Acts. So Paul says, listen, I did not come in persuasive words. Remember that. I didn't come uh, 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 in my own power. I didn't come in my own intellect. Remember that. Because look what Luke says about him. Luke says in Acts 17, 2, 18, 19, he used the word reasoned, that he reasoned with him. Well, you know what? If you don't have uh, at least some degree of confidence in your reasoning ability... In any intellect, you don't want to get into that. You just simply say one thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul put the whole gospel in a nutshell in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He would many times even say, uh, as we've already noted, where he says that uh, I preach a simple message, Jesus and Him crucified. That's it. That's the sum total of my message. But yet, whenever he engaged people, whenever he would encounter people, he would go into a new city and he would go into the synagogues. And he would start with the Jews. Even when he was called to the Gentiles, he still reasoned with the Jews. And so Paul, Luke says that he reasoned with them. Reasoning, again, he says in Acts 17 and 18 and 19, he said he was reasoning with them. He was in dialogue with them. And, and now think about this, what's so significant about that is that, you know, he was giving to them all the evidence for the Messiah to convince them that Jesus was the Son of God. And just think, he was referencing all the things that he already knew. And that's what's fascinating to me. He was a, a very uh, uh, educated, highly educated man, especially in the law. 
And so all of these things now that he's giving to the Jews and reasoning with them from the Scriptures, he already knew about that. But his life wasn't changed until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's so important for us to understand. And Paul got it. Paul understood it. We'll look at this in just a minute. But nobody is ever going to reason their way into heaven. Nobody's ever going to just think their way into heaven. Nobody's going to come to that conclusion. You know what? This just makes sense, and therefore I accept it, that Jesus Christ is a Messiah. It's not on their own power. It is the working of God. If someone doesn't have an encounter with Jesus Christ, their life will never be changed, no matter how many facts they have. That's the mystery of the gospel. Because there's the responsibility... Oh, I'm supposed to be standing still, aren't I? Sorry. There's the responsibility... I might have trouble talking now because if I don't move, I can't talk. But anyways, uh, uh, where was I? Okay, help me out here. Uh, there's the responsibility that we have to receive Christ, to believe on Him. But that can't happen unless God is first working in our lives. It takes both. You say, well, wait a minute. We go one extreme or the other and you have problems. It requires both. But he said he was reasoning with them. He was explaining things. He was explaining the prophecies. He was explaining about Jesus. And what was so amazing was that they were sitting there, they're thinking, wait a minute, is this the same guy that held the coats when they stoned Stephen? Was, he studied under Gamaliel. He was going around rabid, uh, trying to persecute the church. What changed? He had to have known all this before. Can you imagine how powerful that was when Paul is explaining, saying, oh, 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 wait a minute, this is what I never saw before. This isn't what I never understood before until I had a face-to-face encounter with the Messiah. He was giving evidence. He would give evidence. Well, this is why we believe that Jesus, you know, here in the scriptures it says that he would be born of a virgin. It says right here that he would be born in Bethlehem. It says he would be the, the tribe of Judah. It says that he would be a, a, the son of David. I mean, all of these things lining up. And you can just see Paul r- referring by memory all the references in the Old Testament that, that pointed to Jesus. And he's explaining it to them. See, it's just as clear as the nose on your face if you have an encounter with the Savior. But he was explaining it to him. So see, this is important, I think, for us to understand with Paul. As we look at his method uh, of, 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 of evangelism, was it something new that happened in Acts 17? I would say no. Because when you look at Luke's account of what he did right after he got saved, he went into the synagogues, he engaged in explaining and teaching and reasoning. Listen, the, the, the Scripture says in Romans uh, chapter 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is your spiritual service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind has got to be engaged. Jesus never tells us to check out mentally. What's key is that it's got to be renewed daily. Uh, momentarily it's got to be renewed when they came and they tried to catch jesus and they said what's the greatest command What what did he say to love the lord your god with all your what heart mind soul and strength everything within you so if the mind's renewed 
and you're seeking God, listen, God, the Lord wants to use that too in presenting a witness to other people. So it's important for us to pay attention to our minds and regardless of what your educational level is, regardless of what your uh, uh, temperament is like, regardless of whether you like to read or not read. you know, Listen, there's all different ways under God's control for our minds to be renewed because God wants to use our minds in, yes, reasoning with the gospel. Now, listen, we're faithful when we just simply give a tract to someone. We're faithful when we are uh, maybe write a letter with our testimony to someone. We're, faith, we're being faithful to say to someone, you know, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Or may I share with you what the Bible says about how to become a Christian? And we quote to them Romans 6.23 or John 3.16. That's being faithful. But you know what? We are cutting it short if we are not prepared and ready to be able to talk with people because sometimes they're going to throw up smoke screens because they really don't want to believe and they just either they've had some past hurt or some objection and they always want to throw uh, uh, um, a monkey wrench in the gears or they always want to you know throw a roadblock but you know what sometimes people are truly seeking but these are stumbling blocks for them and it's our responsibility to gently move aside those stumbling blocks and that's what I think Paul was doing because you know what in the midst of those there's a few Nicodemuses in there who was educated in the law, but something was missing in his life and he knew it. And that's why he came by night to talk with the Savior, but he wanted to know, what's different about you? You must be from God. You see, in the midst of those, there were Nicodemuses there as well. I, I, I mean, in, in those groups. So Paul was explaining or giving evidence to them. He was persuading them. We say, wait a minute, didn't you just say that nobody's going to be persuaded? Unless the Holy Spirit works in their life? Yes. But you know what? It's like nobody's going to get saved unless they're first given the Word of God as well. To know who that Savior is. It's all part of the process that is put into God's hands to be used. So he was persuading. Now, was Paul's change of heart really a conversion? You might say, well, that's an odd question. Yeah, there's some scholars that... Uh, they, they say, well, you know what, really, Paul's Damascus Road uh, experience was really not a conversion because for conversion you have to change from one religion to the other, and since Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism, it really wasn't a conversion. Secondly, they say it wasn't a conversion because there didn't really seem to be a, an ongoing uh, concern uh, or, or, or um, uh, uh, turmoil over his sin. And so therefore, because he wasn't in anguish over sin, then, then it really wasn't a conversion. Well, let's think about that for a minute. Okay, let's say that some, let's say the Romans considered uh, uh, Christianity to be a sect of Judaism. Did the Jews consider that to be a sect of Judaism? Oh, no. Did Paul, when his name was still Saul, uh, well, his name was always Saul because he kept it, but anyways, uh, when, before he was referred to as Paul, did, did he consider uh, Christianity is just a part of Judaism? No, he was going around trying to stamp it out. The Romans did, but the Jews didn't. But then secondly, what did he switch? How did he then think of Jesus? Well, who did Paul eventually believe Jesus was? He goes from being a troublemaker and some rabbi who's gone astray to being the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. I would say that's conversion. 
That's changing his mind pretty significantly, wouldn't you say? And not only that, but if you consider Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, remember that's the passage in Romans where Paul's saying, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. Who will say? And then he says, thanks be to uh, Jesus Christ because he's the one that brings change. There's evidence right there that, yes, Paul was in turmoil sometimes with his sin. So it was a true, genuine, real conversion. It was a complete change of life. Now, sometimes people, I actually met people who are believers, uh, but, you know, didn't ever, you know, uh, wasn't ever involved in a lifestyle, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol or, you know, uh, uh, rampant sin or anything like that. And, but they just kind of came to Christ and, and, and gave their heart to Christ, and they just came to that realization that they needed Christ. And, and then I'll talk with them sometimes about writing their testimony, and they'll say things like, well, I don't really have a testimony. Listen, if you've passed from darkness into light, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. And Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. And so everybody's got a testimony. It may not be uh, real uh, uh, flamboyant or may not be real uh, spectacular by the you know, people world standards, but it's still a testimony because you went from being unsaved to being saved went darkness into light um but paul's intellect was prominent in his witness when he would talk with people um this is uh john chapter 6 uh, verse 44 the words of jesus paul didn't relay rely totally on his intellect we won't either as we try to persuade people or give evidence for it because jesus said no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day now those who are heavily towards the um calvinist perspective they love this verse because they see right there that's it it's all jesus it begins with jesus ends with jesus it's nothing of our own there's no righteousness and 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 you know what that's true that's true. It all begins with Jesus, that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. It's not us that somehow plays a part in coming to Christ because we have this free will. That, that's true. But at the same time, and this is when somebody says, well, Scott, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I say, yes. It avoids controversies, and, and they just kind of look at you funny, and I say, why? Because both are true. And how that works, I don't know. God's got it figured out. But it requires both. Because the Scripture says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. You see, you take one too far to one extreme, that's universalism. You take it to the other extreme, then it's all based on man's free will. And that's not right either. So no one can come to, to the Father unless, uh, I mean, so no, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Uh, Paul was talking about the Son of God. Again, he had to have been referring to a lot of the Old Testament prophecies when he was talking about the Son of God and reasoning with them. It says that they were amazed. Whenever he's talking to them, they were amazed at, 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 his, at his... So, it, it, again, this is where I'm going. Is G, Paul said of himself in his writings, is Christ and Him crucified. That's my message. But yet in practice, when he was talking with them, they were like, wow, that's... A, that's really heavy. You see, thankfully, God had given him this me measure of humility. But when Luke is describing the way he was working, he's like, oh, man, you should have seen him, seen him at work. It's like watching Mark Lanier in the courtroom. Wow. 
Did you hear that, Mark? Did you hear that, Mark? <laughs> Look what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 22. He was confounding the Jews by proving that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, I could just see Paul, again, referencing Mark. I could just see Paul saying, and in my closing arguments, I would just like to share with you. And then they're just like, oh, it's an open and shut case. How can you argue with that? If you argue with it, you're just showing that you just absolutely refuse to believe even when all the evidence is laid out before you. When you consider the prophecies of Jesus Christ alone and how impossible it would be for one man to fulfill all of those prophecies, to lay that out as Paul did, lay it out before them, starting all the way in Genesis and going all the way through Malachi, sharing with them, look at all points to Jesus. It's not, it's not possible that he could have orchestrated this. And for someone to say, I will not believe, is showing the hardness of their heart. But what it says is he was confounding the Jews by proving that Jesus is the Christ. I liked it at one time in Acts chapter 22, even going beyond Acts 17, and talk about how quickly uh, Paul could think on his feet where he was about to be beaten. And, and, and all of a sudden, he just simply says to the soldier, to the, the centurion that was watching over him, he says, now, is it permissible for a Roman citizen to be beaten? Roman citizen? What? What? I mean, I just love that. When you read that text, it's just so neat how he just kind of says it kind of casually. You know, he's about to be beaten again. And he says, oh, is, it, is that permissible? No. Are you Roman? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just... I'd just kind of mention that to you. Yeah, it backed up, totally changed the situation with just a few words. Completely changed the situation. When he was standing before King Agrippa, uh, and, and uh, let, me, let me turn to Acts chapter 26 real quickly. I love this passage because there's so many things in there. If you have your Bibles, I just encourage you to turn to chapter 26. And just listen how Paul dialogues. Listen how Paul talks. And even those he's witnessing to eventually realize what he's doing. But yet, they're just amazed at his intellectual prowess. We need to be finished here in just a minute. Um, uh, look what he says in, in, in chapter uh, 26. Look, he says in verse 22, In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. See, so he's setting him up. He said, you know, because you're an expert on all these things. And so he's going to make his appeal based on the customs of the Jews. You see, in Acts 17, what did he do? He, made, he, he didn't even mention Christ. He didn't talk about the, uh, uh, the crucifixion, didn't talk about the cross. He went to the resurrection. And he talked about this idol that they had, to, or, or an altar to an unknown God. And then look what he says. He, he goes on talking, um, verse 24. And while Paul was saying this on his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Now, that was his perception. You know, there's sometimes people will say, oh, well, Jesus was, it was deluded as well. But no, you can't speak like Jesus and be crazy. Same thing with Paul. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this uh, has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. So he asked that question, rhetor uh, that question rhetorically. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. 
I mean, how are you going to answer that? And look what his, his answer is. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian? Now, there's scholars, they debate, how is that really phrased? Is he saying, in such a short time, do you think you're going to convince me to become a Christian? Because the Greek is a little bit uh, uh, unclear. Or was he saying, you know what? In a short time, if we keep hanging around here, I'm going, you're going to convince me to become a Christian. Which way was he asking? We don't know. But Agrippa knew what he was up to. And look how Paul built his case for the Savior and for his, his own defense and what he had uh, done or been doing, what he was falsely accused of. Look, Paul says uh, in uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. He was not under any delusions thinking that everybody was going to come to Christ. But he said, I make it my effort, my goal to become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What that shows us, folks, is that we need to know about the people that we want to share life's most important message with. It's letting ourselves off the hook to just simply say, well, I don't understand them. I I don't get them. You know what? The Lord wants us to make the effort to get them. At least to understand, to build those bridges with people. It's the height of arrogance to always say, well, you know what, you just have to come over to my side and you just have to learn. If we don't begin to build bridges, then they can't, and that's what we saw Paul did. He said, if, to the Jew, I knew something about the Jew. Well, he certainly did because he was raised as a Jew, steeped in Judaism. But to the Greek, I also understand something about the Greek. I make it my goal to know something about the people that I want to share the good news with. And here's the points for home that I think are, are important for us. Acts 17. In Acts 17, verses 27 through 28, is this the way we live our lives? Think about this. Because it says that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist. As even some of our own poets have said, for we are some of uh, your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. See, once again, he was referencing their poets. They said, oh, wow, he knows something. He knows what we're reading. He's read my mail, you know. But what is Paul saying? He says, you know what? The one thing we all have in common, whether we know Christ as Savior and Lord or not, that it's only in him that we live, move, and exist. We exist in him. Do you... Let me ask you a question. Because I, I tell you, I'll just tell you, it's not that way with me. It takes tremendous effort on my part that when I swing my feet around to the side of the bed every morning to think, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. My natural mode of operation is to start thinking about what I have to get done that day. But you know what? 
I live and move and even exist in Him. If it was not for Him, I would disappear into oblivion. If we think in terms, you know what, everything I do, everything sometimes that honors God and some things, those things that don't honor God, everything I do in my life from the time that I get up to the time that I go to bed and even while I'm sleeping, because you know those things that we've allowed to go into our minds will rum, rumble around and they're sometimes in the middle of the night. But we live and we ex- move and exist in Christ. So in other words, our agendas then begin to to pale in comparison to his agenda. And in 1 Peter 3.15, this is the basis for, uh, you know, being knowledgeable of what you believe, finding out something about what others believe, building those bridges, and sharing life's uh, most precious message with them. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean? It means to literally set aside Christ as Lord in my heart. You know, I'm kind of crazy, but sometimes... Now some... I thought, sure, I'd hear somebody say, kind of. But I'm kind of crazy, but sometimes, literally, I have set up a chair... And I've sat down on a chair and I've set a chair right across from me so I could fix on Jesus. And I imagine that he was sitting there and said, Lord, you rule in my life today. You rule. You're boss. You rule. You're it. Everything that I face today, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may behave and I may respond and I may act the way you want me to, to bring honor and glory to you. My reputation is not important because if my reputation is separate from your reputation, if I have different goals than what you have goals, then I am going down a futile path. But you are boss. You are Lord of my life. Setting aside Christ. What? Always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. There's been a few occasions in my life the most thrilling words, the most thrilling, encouraging words that I can ever experience is for someone to be able to say, you just seem to have a joy in your life. There just seems to be something different in your life. I say, praise God that in spite of me, they saw something different. Hallelujah. In spite of my mess-ups, in spite of my failures, in spite of my, my flesh, there was something you did, God, because I know it wasn't me. There was something you did that they happened to be watching at that right moment, and they said, you know, there's something different. How, how do I get that? So that you can give an account for the hope that's within you. Look what Jesus said. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So as we stop right here for just one second, what are the points for home? Well, number one is that we set aside Christ and Lord of our hearts. If we have a mentality and we cultivate a mentality that our very existence depends on Christ day in and day out, and we are filled with His Holy Spirit, 
then we will move in Him, we will exist in Him, we will encounter people in Him, and we will be empowered by Him. Why? Because He said, wherever you go, once you come to know Me as your Lord and Savior, you will be My witnesses. And sometimes you will witness positively, and yes, I even give you the right to give a negative witness. Because everything you do and how you live reflects on what you say you believe about me. And you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What is that? That means Houston. That means Texas. That means North America. And that means to the ends of the earth. Some of you all live here in Houston and you regularly go to the ends of the earth. Everywhere in between, wherever you are, on a plane, on a train, automobile, I don't know. um, Wherever you are, what does your life reflect? Because you are witnessing. One of the most convicting things to me, and i got to admit it, is when I get on a plane sometimes, and I already know the book I want to read, and I already know the music I want to listen to, and I get into this seat, and I put on the headphones, and I'm getting in my own little world. In fact, when we went down the trip to Guatemala, Lorraine is right here. She was doing all that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No. I was like, come on, Lorraine. Come on, we have a responsibility here. No, not really, not really. No, we were just sitting in there, and we are listening to iPods, and, I mean, our, our uh, music and stuff like this. And here's this young man that is going back to Guatemala. I don't know anything about him. I don't really want to know anything about him. I mean, I mean, admit it, I don't care. I should, but I don't care. And we're sitting down, and all of a sudden, we're three-quarters of the way through the flight. It's not a long flight. And we're filling out our little entrance papers. And we had a question. She asked me a question. I didn't know what the answer is. All of a sudden, he says in perfect English. I could tell he was from, probably from Guatemala. Perfect English. He says, uh, do you need some help with that? I did. It was, all that was, was Jesus saying, <laughs> Hello? So I'm like, oh, yeah. And so we start talking, and he starts telling, you know, how, yeah, I think this is what you need to put. And so then I say, well, hey, what are you, know, you know, well, I'm coming back. And he was, he, was a, uh, he was an attorney, a young guy, but he was in New York studying because he wants to be an actor. And he's going back to Guatemala because he's, his premiere, his pro, uh, uh, a short film, independent film, was opening up, and, it was, and they were, he was coming back to, to be at the opening. And we just start talking. I asked him, I said, uh, and he said, hey, uh, you know, what? I mean, Jesus, you know, if, if you're not going to be obedient, he'll work it all out to try to get you, you know, like this. It was almost like he was saying, and not knowing, hey, you ask him this, because he's obviously not going to follow him. Ask him this. <laughs> ask him what he does. Oh, I'm a minister. Okay. Ask him where he works, you know, at Champion Forest Baptist Church. Okay. Why don't you go and ask him, you know. And I mean, one after the other, and I'm sitting there, and so I'm saying, well, what do you do? Well, I'm an actor. He tells me all about his life, and then I said, we know. Uh, he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a minister. Pastor, because, you know, there's part on there where you have to put down what you're, what you're doing. And he said, oh, really? And I said, yeah. I said, are you a Christian? He goes, no, I'm Catholic. <laughs> oh. And so what did I do? I said, well, hey, why don't you explain that to me? That's interesting that you say, no, I'm Catholic. Oh, well, you know, I'm not an evangelical. And it opened up a whole dialogue. I was able to share the gospel with him, gave him a track, got his number, And he said, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for telling me the difference. Wherever you are, 
if you move and exist in Christ, be prepared. Sanctify Christ the Lord in your heart. Always being prepared. Always being prepared. And um, finally, Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not making a point with this. Skip to the latter part. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, second, well, it's not finally, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm running through these. Here we go. Second Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Sanctify Christ. Understanding we move and exist in Him. Always being ready to give a defense for Him. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. All these are important and essential in our lives. And he did not, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then he didn't give us a spirit of timidity. When we're afraid, that's not Christ that's bringing that spirit because he didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. And then fine, now finally, okay, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, Jesus said, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You say, well, I just don't know what I'll say. Well, maybe you don't yet. But in the right time, you will. Well, I just don't know enough. You know, yes, you do. If you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you understand that you live and move and exist in Him, and he did not give you a spirit of timidity, but one of power and authority, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then in that moment, whatever that moment is, and you, and, and you are uh, seeking to be all things to all men, that doesn't mean necessarily take on their lifestyle. It just simply means to understand something about them. When you are doing that, when you're engaging your mind, when your mind is renewed, then when that moment comes, the Holy Spirit will tell you and teach you what to say so in other words we have a whole room full of witnesses every person in here is a witness what will you do with that witness thanks again for letting me be here let's pray thank you lord jesus for this day thank you lord for loving us thank you for saving us thank you lord for dying for us god i just pray that you would just move in a powerful way not only in our church but in this class Lord, if Guatemala is on the radar, Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and discernment to know what that's to look like and how to be involved. And God, I pray that as we go into this week that's ahead of us, that we will go in the power of the Holy Spirit with our minds renewed, trusting you that you will give us the words to say when those opportunities come. But Lord, don't let us shrink in fear from giving the most important message the world has ever known to those who are in darkness and need to know. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Great.